0: to be here again with you this morning twice in one month. I guess that's what happens when you whine and complain about not being invited back. Um, If you were here the last time I was here, I did a message, the will of God and the road last traveled. Uh, I did make mention then if if you invite me back up, I'll I'll bring uh, part two of this message. So here we are today. Uh, We're going to endeavor to answer the million dollar question, what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? How can I know and where do I start? As I mentioned the last time, I was involved with campus ministry for about 10 years, and and that's an often uh, asked question by young people. Uh, Usually have a degree in mind and things like that, and our goal is to intercept them in campus ministry and and really get them to focus on their relationship in Christ and, and that process of discovery. And I was often asked, uh, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? And my answer is always the same. What's God's will, period? What's God's will, period? Not for my life, uh, but what is God's will? Because you never know where God's will is going to take you. Amen? And I, uh, I shared this testimony many times. When I came out here in 1974, my brother recruited me to come out and play football, uh, I got out here and it was so cold and so flat, uh, I said, one semester and I'm out of here. And, and here we are, 49 years later, uh, still living. I am freezing this morning. Uh, I don't I don't like cold. but the will of God and the road less travel, and today we're going to let Jesus begin or continue to define the will of God and the road less travel, and we're going to journey with Him. Uh, before I begin, I, uh, I would like to just do a quick review in case you weren't here for part one, and by the way, uh, latest statistics anyway, do you know that 92% of people in church this morning cannot remember what pastor spoke on the week before. Uh, I don't know if that's a, uh, a testimony to the pastor's message uh, or your minds, my minds, and how easily we forget. You know, one of the commands in the, uh, in the Old Testament in particular, God instructed the nation of Israel over 300 times, do not forget. Do not forget, and, and we're easy, we're prone uh, to forget, especially as I get older. I usually have my wife standing by the door as I'm ready to go out. Got your keys, got your wallet, got your cell phone, got your water bottle, yep, yep, check, check. And I don't know what, sometimes I'm halfway down the road and the phone's ringing, and hey, you forgot something, and I have to, I have to turn around. And I spoke out of Colossians chapter 1, and a key verse here was verse 9, for Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we come to understand that Paul's prayer and God's will is one and the same, that you and I come to know the will of God through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, And in Colossians chapter 1, there was four main points that Paul addressed. The first was to know Jesus Christ. The will of God is that every person comes to the knowledge and is found in Jesus Christ. That was Paul's instructions to Timothy to pray and intercede. Uh, This pleases God because he wants all men to be saved. Secondly, it was to live a fruit-bearing life that pleases God. Jesus said in John fifteen, sixteen, You did not choose me, but rather I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, good fruit that will last. Do we have my PowerPoint? You gotta catch up to me. Okay, just so you know, I, 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 who's running PowerPoint? You, you got to keep up with me. I, I, <laughs> uh, thirdly, is to live an empowered life, an empowered life of en- pa- uh, endurance, patience, thankfulness, and joy. Uh, as Paul reminded Timothy at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. God's will is that you and I finish strong in our faith, not shipwrecked, as Paul alluded to in 1 Timothy 1.19. And lastly, it's to live a life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is God's will, that you and I become proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philemon 1.6, Paul writes, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will come to a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, we have to give it away. And so this morning, I want to give you a secret to discovering the will of God. It's a big secret. It's a key, and it's simply faith. It's faith. It's faith to take the next step. See, life in Christ is nothing but faith to take the next step, a stepping stone if you will, to the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you know the Scriptures, was struck with blindness. What a way to start your your journey of faith, to be struck with blindness. Eventually, uh, he would die for his faith. Jesus Christ, from the moment he came into the world, his life was nothing but stepping stones to the cross where he would be crucified to save you and I. And I shared last message, uh, November fourth, nineteen eighty nine, where the stepping stones really became clear to me. Uh, as I was on a uh, a small grocery run for my wife a Sunday night, I pulled into the parking lot at the grocery store, and there was a message on the Book of Colossians in chapter one. And I came away from that. I sat there and listened. Uh, that I was going to pray and entreat the Lord for one hour every morning in 1989. And all that did, it didn't change our church location. It didn't change anything about our circumstances at the time. But what it did do is God began to stir, and God began to well up, that He had a different plan for my life. Uh, at this point, I've, I've been running my uh, financial business, uh, I have to say it was three years of great difficulty, but now it's very successful. And I was serving, I was teaching in a church, a different church here in the city. But then in 1991, uh, I was down and treating the Lord. It was a Saturday, I can tell you, April 14th, 1991. You parents out there, you really want to mark these days. Uh, when God speaks and God moves and God does miraculous things so that we can pass down the truths and the history and the glory of how God works in our lives. But April 14th, I came up. My girls were little then. My wife, they're sitting at the breakfast table. And I said, I just heard from the Lord. And we're supposed to go to this little church, I'd never heard of it, uh, called Cottonwood Community Church, and so I shared that at the breakfast table, and I shared 10 uh, Bartlett commitments the Lord had laid on my heart, and my wife says, you know, I, I think I've heard of that church, uh, and there was a family that we knew, uh, she said, I think that's where Doug and Michelle go to church. I said, well, that's where we're going to the church, and of course, uh, one thing led to another, Uh Pastor Tom invited me to a, uh, a leadership conference about seven months later. And walking back to my cabin, we were down in Nebraska at a Y camp. And uh, we'd landed and we'd prayed with some brothers for about two and a half, three hours. And like a lightning bolt, uh, God struck me on the way back to my cabin and said, uh, I want you to be a pastor. It's time, Bob. Uh, and I won't tell you, I don't have time to tell you all the struggles uh, as that was becoming clearer. But you know, it was it was the perfect time, and I came home and I shared that exciting news with my wife, and she began to weep. And, uh, and uh, anyway, we just kept praying and seeking the Lord together. But I will promise you this, if you are committed, if you're committed to, to the will of God and the road less traveled, I promise you that God will bring you to the crossroads in your life. Jeremiah 6.16, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path and where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And so I here I am 30 years later. Uh, it's been a joy uh, serving here for 25 years years, um, and uh, so I, I have a few observations that I would like to just go over quickly uh, about the road less traveled. Number one, it's a narrow road. Jesus said in Matthew seven fourteen, small is a gate and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets, those who make, want to make God their own personal genie, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Secondly, it's revealed in God's Word, and we need to be devoted to the Word of God. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2, Be not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can a Christian walk in the perfect will of God? Absolutely. doesn't mean he's perfect, but he can walk in the perfect will of God for his life. Number three, it's released as we obey God's Word. You don't have to be a biblical scholar, but what you have to do is obey what you know. Obey the truths that you know. Obey the truths that you learn and have a hunger for the Word of God. John 15, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. There it is, the revealed will of God. It's renewed in a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branch. If a man abides in me, I will abide in him, and he will bear much fruit. And lastly, uh, so that we know this is no joke it's a hard teaching it's a hard teaching to be committed to the will of God to be committed to the road less traveled Jesus had a discussion with his disciples in John chapter 6 and it was only about the sacraments and the disciples kind of came away scratching their head said Jesus this is a hard teaching this is a hard teaching and that's what it is. If you're going to be committed to travel the road less traveled, then you have to realize there's hard teaching, there's hard truths. So or what my friend David Roper, a former president Navigator, says, hard gaining, hard gaining. If you want a, a great, challenging devotional, uh, pick up that book, Hard Gaining by David Roper. But Paul faced, and the church today faces the same challenge as they did two thousand years ago. When he wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter two, verse four, says, "I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments." And I don't know about you, but I track uh, the church a lot statistically. I use a couple of different websites. Uh, what's going on in the church the church of Jesus Christ uh, not all the other ones but the church see that's my concern that should be every pastor's concern is what is going on in this church in this house of God and there's a lot of fine sounding arguments coming out of the Christian church or those who name the name of Christ and hold up the banner of Christ We have Christian churches today that are ordaining gay and lesbian pastors. We have Christian churches today that name the name of Jesus that perform marriage ceremonies. And the list is endless. The church is being infiltrated with wolves, false teachers who teach false doctrine. You know what the Bible calls them? antichrist whose whole, whole purpose is to deceive and to mislead and it is alive and well in the church today all dogs may go to heaven but all roads don't lead to heaven Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no living soul comes to the Father is is eternity bound except through the gate or the door that is Jesus Christ. So how are these lives, how are these fine-sounding arguments doing? Well, according to this, and I shared this last time, according to Probe Ministries, 70% of Christians, 70%, 7 in 10 Christians if you line them up, 7 and 10, say that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. You Don't think there's a lot of deception going on? And I just say this, church, if we don't get this right, if we don't get this right, there's not much hope for surviving. You see, Christianity was never about surviving. Christianity was about thriving, flourishing, being the salt of the earth, being the light of the world, not cowering and shuddering, but standing boldly and standing up for truth. Amen. You see, our dress might be casual. Our dress might be casual here at Cottonwood. I, I speak for the brothers here uh, Our dress might be casual at Submerged Church, but our stand on the Word of God is not casual. Amen. Amen. So let's dig in. Uh, Next week, um, I'm going to Vermont to see some family. I got about half my siblings are now uh, have migrated up to Vermont. And I went there last summer. My wife and I are leaving this Wednesday. Uh, Go have a little vacation time, a little witness time, a little sharing time. But one of our annual events is to hike Mount Moosaloo. It's an Indian name. I've forgotten the name of the Indian tribe that named it. But it literally means call of the moose, Moosaloo. And it's not a a big mount North Dakota standards, of course, it's Mount Everest. But it's about 2,850 feet. But this uh, mountain has two trails. The first one is about a third of the way up the trail or the hike. Uh, You can uh, go off on this path. It just narrows out and it's nice and level. Uh, There's nothing strenuous. It's just like strolling for a walk. And when you get to the end of about three miles down the the trail, there's a nice little sitting area. It's what I call the dead-end pleasure trail. The second one... Uh, it's pretty arduous. It takes about three hours to get to the top. I think the elevation, the, the website says it's like 38 or 9 feet. It's about three-hour hike. You're sweating like a pig by the time you get up to the top. But at the top of this mountain, it's one of a uh, few mountains uh, in the United States that has a lake up at the top of the mountain. And we brought a friend, a young friend of ours with us last year. We hiked up there and Sweating like pigs when we got up there, but to jump in that cold mountain, cold uh, lake was unbelievable. And why do I share that? Because this is a really uh, the analogy that I'm talking about this morning. Your Christianity can be a dead-end pleasure tale, or it could be a call to the mountaintop. To the mountaintop. It's all before us. So let's dig in. The will of God and the road less traveled. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This was very upsetting for the disciples. This was upsetting news because they had, their will was, this king, this Messiah was going to be uh, Joshua, reincarnated, some mighty warrior. Instead, Jesus lays it out, here is the will of God, and I'm going to eventually die on the cross. And the reality is, the will of God on the roadless travel is not a pleasure trail, but it's a treasure trail. Treasure trail little tongue twister. See, Jesus sets the tone. He tells the parable in Matthew 3, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. You see, every Christian has a call. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has a call. The will of God is to live sold out. To live sold out, just like the man in the parable sold everything he had. He gave up everything he had so he could possess that one eternal treasure, and that is Christ. We all have that call. call. And it's not my purposes or my will, but his. Paul writes in Romans 8.28, and this is an often quoted Verse by Christians, and we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, and for those who are called according to His purposes. See, it's never about my will. It's never about your will, but what is God's will. What Christ is saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that we have to be prepared. Every one of us is going to be tempted to turn back, just like Jesus was in Matthew 4, chapter 3, when he began his ministry. He was tempted to turn back. God's plan and God's purpose is at the end of the trail, the mountaintop, if you will. And Jesus is simply making it clear, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not easy. It's not easy. It'll challenge you. It'll try you. It'll test you. But you know, I had an expression. I'm going to see if anybody can finish. If it's good enough for Jesus, amen, amen. All right. First Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11.1, you know the greatest attribute of a leader is the example he sets, is the example he sets. Paul writes in First Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You talk about a standard. Number two, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and daily take up his cross and follow me. And here it is, the great invitation. Many are called, few are chosen. What's the operative word here? If. If. See, the reality is we face the if every single day. The will of God and the road less travel is for the committed Christian. Is for the committed Christian. I already alluded to the conversation that Jesus had in John chapter 6, verse 60, when he shared this hard teaching. But it goes on to record in verse verse 66 he says this From that time forward, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's a hard teaching, it's for the committed Christian. It's to live sold out, it's to give your life for the gospel doesn't say give your life to be a pastor. That was what God revealed. But it's called we're called to give our lives for the gospel. The will of God and the road less travel. See, gospel was never meant, Christianity was never meant to be backpack Christianity. That's another term I came up with when I used to uh, oversee college ministry. Uh, you know, all the kids are walking on campus with backpacks. They got their books in there and they, they got everything in there. Sometimes I think that's what we do with Christ. Just put Christ in the backpack. Yep, I've got my salvation. I've got heaven secured. And now I'm going to just go on my own and live my own life, travel my own road. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. You know, that's a verse that's uh, it's always pierced me or maybe spurred me. God doesn't like it when Christians become quitters and Christians turn back. See, there's no rest. There's no rest with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no retirement. I get asked all the time, hey, I thought you were retired. Busier than ever. I'm repurposed, but I'm not retired. And I tell Paul, as long as my brain functions, stuff like that, uh, I'm preaching the gospel uh, down at Submerged Church. If you have me back up, I'll preach it up here too. There's no end in sight. There's no letting up. There's no giving up. There's no shutting up. And every one of us needs to make the decision if if we're on this trail, if we're on this path, it could cost you. Like Jesus, like Paul, it could cost you your very life. I think we're all aware of the perilous times our culture is. We are living in the culture of Romans chapter 1. Our culture is given over. Our culture is given over. It is not going to be redeemed. It will not be redeemed. It is wicked and it's perverse. At a gay pride parade two weeks ago, they were all just unbelievable perversion. Their glory is in their shame, Paul writes. And what do they say? Marching and chanting, We're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. We are living... In the culture of the time, as Paul prophesied Romans 1, given over. But the good news is it's the best time to stand on the truth of God's word, because there's still wicked and depraved sinners like me uh, that needed salvation. And they're all around us. They're all around us. Number three, he must deny himself. She must deny himself. Gals, this is not uh, exclusive. And that is simply a life of surrender. To deny oneself is a life of surrender. How many of you have ever played tug of war? Maybe at a, a company function or a family reunion? Got a couple people. You see, this is what it means to live a life of surrender. A tug of war of wills. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 39, again, showing us, the example. And he's praying, and he's alone in the garden. And death is imminent. Crucifixion is imminent. And he knows everything that he's about to face. He says, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is my uh, life verse for this year. And um, What a challenge. 43 years in Christ, and I still have those tug-of-will moments. Do you? Do you? But we need to look at our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ from his beginning in Matthew 4-3 to the end. Here in Matthew 26-39, he was tempted. He was tempted every step of the way with that tug of wills and even here, we hear his plea. If there's another way, God. If there's another way. You know, the first time in that, that journey I, I encapsulated, you know, the first time God started to tap me about pastoral ministry. I'd been running with the brothers for about a year and a half. And, uh, God, I'll do anything but that. Anything. I'll go to Africa and be a, a missionary, but not pastoring, not pastoring. I'm not cut out for it. I'm not equipped for it. But you know what I've learned? God got my heart, God got my heart 43 years ago, but I learned in 1989 that He wants my life. He wants all of it. And I know my wife... She's looking for a surrendered husband every single day. Surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my own personal life. Not a self-willed man. Guys, these next three steps, if you want to master husbandry, godly husbandry, God-honoring, God-fearing husbandry, learn to master these three points. First, the life of surrender. Secondly is to take up your cross daily is a life of daily sacrifice. What is the significance of the cross? What is the significance of the cross? It's the greatest. It is the ultimate sacrifice ever recorded in the history of man when God, when His Son Jesus Christ hung on the cross. The greatest sacrifice. I'm not talking about the 300 Old Testament sacrifices on the altar. Christ offered up Himself. Christ sacrificed Himself. And we have a call to live sacrificial, to answer that call, to live a sacrificial life. And we do that by offering up ourselves to the Lord. We are the offering. Every day we are the offering. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Thy will be done. Or whatever context you pray in. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. See the call, the call to take up your cross is the call to take up your commitment. Jesus said in John 12:24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What that simply means is dying to our will. Dying to our will. Examining your lives and laying yourselves on the altar. A life of sacrifice daily for others You know, Paul wrote those words in Philippians when he was in a prison. He was in a prison and he was facing death. He knew he was going to face death. It was imminent. Did you also know that the the book of Philippians is known as the epistle of joy? Paul lived with great joy at the end of his life. See, there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of things the devil, oh boy, if if you live this life, boy, things aren't going to be the same. You're right. They're not going to be the same. And I can't promise you where the road will take you, but what I can promise you, you will know joy, you will know peace, you will know love, you will know forgiveness, you'll know mercy, you'll know all the fruits of the Spirit in a deep and profound way. And every time this fallen dark world kicks us in the teeth we even moan and whine about it or we can realize that God is making you and I into something special a diamond number five follow me and that simply means the will of God on the road less traveled is a life of service you know this word Follow that is found in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Some translations it'll say imitate. See, in the Greek, it's the same word. To follow is to imitate. So when Jesus Christ says here, He's got to take up His cross daily and follow me, it means to imitate His life. And what was the epitome of His life? It was a life of service. Matthew 20.28. 20, this is one of my life verses as I go before the Lord every morning uh, as a husband. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Anybody heard that one before? No? Anybody? Come on. Don't, don't be shy. I remember it. That was our mantra. I, I, is it still our mantra? It isn't. Oh, man i got to come back more often. What? Oh. (laughs) I'm not knocking your mantra. But the reality is, if you're not serving, you're not following. You're not on the road less traveled. Serving in the church and serving outside the church. Uh, August 4th, David, is that when your outreach is? This church should be filled with soldiers ready to go out and engage the world. One of the beautiful things like a new home in Bonanzaville is they have these events three or four times a year and ten to 15,000 people come through Bonanzaville. And, and we're going to be serving them. Uh, we're going to be cooking breakfast for them at Pioneer Days but we're also handing out our flyers, inviting people to church. I was a stranger and you invited me in, Jesus said. But if you're not serving, you're not truly following. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 23, the greatest in my kingdom, the greatest among you, will be your servant. Will be your servant. Now you know what's difficult about serving? Serving. You know what's difficult about serving is because we're we're giving and not getting. Right? It goes against that will. See, our inherent natures—we're selfish. We're selfish people. I'm a selfless, a selfish husband sometimes. Fewer than when we first got married. You see, the call for a Christian is to be selfless. And serving is the best way to take your eyes off yourself and to put your eyes on someone else and serve them and put their needs above their own. Guys, you want a little secret to light the fire of your your wife's heart? You learn to be a servant in your home. You, You young dads, let mom sleep in on a Saturday morning, give your kids breakfast, do the dishes, whatever. I used to take mine out. Uh, we'd go to the mall. We didn't have a lot of money to go to the mall and do the same thing. We'd go look at the pet store. You know, the kids always loved to hold the little bunny rabbits or the kitties and, and uh, kill about two or three hours. And then we usually would go to McDonald's, cheap meal, and come home, and I'd lay them down and put them to bed for their afternoon naps so my wife could have Every Saturday morning to ourselves. I'm putting a lot of you men in hot water. (laughs) Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 1, another life verse for me as a husband. Paul said, God said in 1 Corinthians 4 1, my wife, my children, and the world in which I live must see a servant. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Jesus Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Paul again writes in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. And then verse 24, it's the Lord Jesus Christ you're serving. Boy, that really drives it home, doesn't it? Anytime I'm serving, I'm an ambassador. I'm representing Jesus Christ. And number six, where's the clock here now? I don't see it. Uh Uh-oh. All right, we'll go through this last point. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for me, we'll save it. Uh, just to be fair, too, you know, we had a guest speaker here today, uh, and I really appreciate his testimony and his, and his life calling. But you know, he did cut into my time just a little bit. so. <laughs> the will of God and the road less travel. You ready for this? It's for losers. It's for losers who become winners in the eyes of God. The only eyes that matter. It's one of the greatest oxymorons in all of scripture. The narrow the less traveled road is for losers. We don't win until we lose. We don't truly win till we lose. We lose ourselves. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. Mind you, he wrote all of this from prison. Ready to die. But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. You get that? Paul says you want to be a winner, you got to be a three-time loser in Jesus. He uses another word for the world to call us. I get called a loser. Oh, i got a brother that uh, has gone off the rails uh, after the, the 2016 election, and, and uh, first it was all political attacking, now it's all spiritual attacking, and uh, I, I can't even, I don't speak to him anymore, but, but he calls me a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a fool. But that's what it is to win. You see, a lot of these truths are, are really oxymorons, When we die to ourselves, when we chain ourselves to the cross is when we become freest. When we die to our flesh, when we die to ourselves is when we become truly alive in Christ. Jesus said in John 6.63, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Get lost in Jesus Christ. Lose your sin, lose yourself, lose your selfish ways. Lose, lose, lose. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for these uh, gripping and powerful words. Lord, we know that your word uh, was meant, uh, among other things, to comfort us, to challenge us, but also to convict us. And God, I know your heart is to bring every man and every woman to that crossroads where the ancient paths await, Lord. That is the will of God and the walk of God for our lives. God, help us today. Help us to see every day there's a crossroads before us. And like Jesus, may it be our heart and our prayer and the words from our lips, not as I will. Father, but as you will. In his name I pray, amen.